0: I'll be honest, this one came really close to being a lamentation. And having said that so overtly right at the beginning, I imagine I'm going to get some comments about that, and that's fine. As ever, I am curious what you guys think about this sort of thing. I don't try to lay down my judgment as the uniform, this is the one true opinion or whatever, right? It's just my thoughts, my ruminations, that's why I call it that. But I looked at this episode, I have one, two, three, eight. I have eight notes on my page total. I got nothing. And I've often said that an episode or a game or whatever that I just have very little to talk about is almost worse than one that I do, even if it's a bad film or a bad game, because at least I have something to discuss, right? What do I have to discuss in this episode? Camera angles? I, I do wish Troy didn't have her powers. It would make sense, given the perspective of the episode. In fact, they basically don't even mention Troy's powers this episode, so, you know to saying. <laughs> I'm not letting that go. As, as, as episodes continue to happen in which Troy... It, it works better if Troy didn't have her powers. I'm going to keep bringing it up. At some point, I'm sure there will be an episode where Troy having her powers is a good thing. But until we get there, <laughs> this is where we're at. I like the idea of memory archiving and memory diving. It's an interesting concept in its own right. But we only really see it once. Right at the beginning with... Uh, Not Ogawa. Um, Oh, my gosh. Keiko. Keiko O'Brien. We only see it once with her. And she actually does a pretty good job of getting it across. And there's some good stuff there. In fact, I'd say that opening scene is one of the things that helps salvage this from Lamentation territory. There are other things. But... (sighs) The fact that she, the actress, is sitting there doing the actions and then occasionally the camera will shift to the first-person view of her memory, it was good. It was a good visual representation of how vague and uncertain a memory really would be given the circumstances and being able to, to pull it back towards the surface. Like I said, memory diving is what I actually wrote down in my notes, which is a cool idea. It really is. Then we see that the father is overbearing, <laughs> and then we the son is see the son is very repressed. So immediately we know the son's actually the bad guy. This is actually given away in the teaser. I'm not joking. If you if you've rewatched this episode anytime recently, you remember the teaser ends with him doing this. You know the kind of sideways evil grin. I, I'm probably not doing it right because I'm trying to talk at the stand time. But I mean, you know he's doing the evil grin kind of a thing and the glaring under the eyebrows kind of a thing. And then that's the teaser. And then at the, and I wrote it down, 13 minute and 6 second mark, he ousts himself as the villain. Let's talk about that for a second, because (sighs) there are multiple ways to do a mystery when it comes to fiction. Uh, It basically boils down to who knows what. You can do fiction where we, the audience, don't know, but the characters know. We can do it where both of us don't know. We can do it where the character doesn't know, but we do know. I suppose you could also theoretically do it where both the character and the audience knows, but that's kind of a rarity. But either way, that's the usual construction of a mystery, is those three types. Now, I've spoken before about the benefit of all three of those types when it comes to many of the other videos I've done in the past. This episode arguably does the characters-don't-know-we-know thing, but it does it completely wrong. The benefit of such a thing is the added element of tension to interactions with characters who are not aware of the true reality of the situation when we are, and usually is done as a way to elevate uh, character interactions. In other words, to try and showcase some aspect of how they act and think and feel, a way to develop them more. This episode doesn't do that. Instead, an inordinate amount of time in the episode is spent on what is effectively dry mystery-solving. Now, dry mystery solving can work if there is a mystery to be solved, which there isn't. We know the answer to the mystery. So our time is now being wasted in an episode which is spending an ignorant amount of time just sitting there thinking, maybe it was this, maybe it was this. And there's an entire scene with Geordi just talking to the computer trying to deduce this. That scene serves no purpose in a story in which the mystery has already been given away. Now, then, then we get to the part where we go through multiple other different uh, memories. Uh, We go to Troy, Riker, uh, Crusher, and very Now, each one of these is something from their past, and it's generally considered to be a negative thing, which leads to something I have to comment on, but we'll get to that in a moment. Now... Each of these things could have served the episode. It could have been an insight into the characters, a peek into the window of their past to help decide and show how they are the way they are now. And yet all three of these tell us absolutely nothing, that Troy and Riker were close and had romantic entanglements that they were pushing away from, but still have feelings for each other. That was as, that's old news as of first contact. The fact that Crusher is still getting over the death of her, her husband and was negatively impacted by it, and that the card was there for her in that moment. Again, that's old as of season one, I forget exactly when that showed up. Okay, how about Riker who really cares about those under his command and is torn up about his inability to save one of those crew members? You see where I'm going with this. None of this is new information. None of this is even a new perspective on existing information. This is like someone walking up and saying, Did you know that data's an Android? And Jordy has a visor. Yes, we know episode. Are you going to do anything with that? No, you're not. Okay. Now, they do some weird camera stuff with these scenes, which is about as interesting as the episode gets. Weird camera stuff. Then uh, then I have to talk about the Riker scene. Because there's a bit where Troy remembers falling to the ground, and the chips are falling, and Riker's on top of her, and they start to kiss, and she says, No. Then it proceeds in, in a way that I don't even want to describe, because it's horrible. Question: Do you think Riker did that to her? Honest question. Now I don't. I don't for a number of reasons, actually. But because I don't like to just say that as a matter of opinion, I'd like to give at least some pieces of evidence for that. First and foremost, the idea that Riker would actually force himself on a woman is actually kind of laughable. There's actually an episode previous to now, I forget the name, please forgive me, it was back in season 3, I want to say, where Riker basically had a slave girl in front of him who was willing to do whatever he wanted, and he was immensely turned off by that option. This is also the Riker who undoubtedly flirts and, and schmoozes with every woman he can, right up until the exact moment they push back and don't want everything to do with him or are otherwise taken. I have evidence for that, too. The episode Cupid, where he starts to make the moves on Vosh, and Vosh, as soon as they realize that this is a friend of the captain, he immediately stops that just dead in his tracks. I am sorry, Riker is not the kind of person to force himself on a woman. That's asinine. This is also ignoring the fact that this is William T. Riker, someone who was originally designed by Gene Ronberry, and being pushed by the Rick Berman era, which, for all of its many flaws, does not include the possibility of a human being being that disgustingly horrible. No. I have further evidence, actually, because most of the other um, visions we see are altered in some significant way. Or are you going to actually imply that when Miss Beverly Crusher went to see her husband, his eyes actually opened and he peered up at her. This is my point. The trend is that they go through a horrible memory of one manner or another, and then it is, like, it basically is taken over by Jev, and then he makes it worse. He does this in all cases, in all of the memories that we see. So I have no problem believing that what actually happened is Riker was there, they kissed, she says no, and he backed off, and that was the end of the night. But that's the moment Jev takes over and pushes it to the next level. Just like with Jack's eyes opening, just like with the chaos surrounding the the attempt to evacuate uh, Ensign Keller, or whatever her name is, from the the warp core. Final point of evidence, because I really feel like making my point as solidly on this one as I can. Riker, credit to Jonathan Frakes. Riker shows tremendous concern, care, and, I'm just going to say this word as bluntly as I can, love. Probably not romantic love, but definitely a familial connecting, you are my friend, I care about you, love, towards Troy in this episode while she is in that coma. He goes well out of his way to try and figure out what's going on. And the scene with him in her and talking to her and trying to explain stuff and saying how he misses her and he's going to talk about the reports when she gets up, all that. That's actually an awesome scene. It's the other good scene that really helps elevate this episode from lamentation status. That William Riker is not the kind of person to force himself on her. I'm sorry. It's probably obvious from my tone that I've had this argument before more than once. However, if you have a differing opinion, why? That's all I ever ask. But it would, I mean, obviously plenty of people disagree with me when it comes to everything in the universe, but especially Star Trek. There's so many of us who have so many different opinions and perspectives when it comes to Star Trek. So all I ask is why. What is your ultimate perspective and why do you have that? By all means, please share. I, I do I do encourage you. I just hope that we can stay civil in the comment section. That's all I ask, really. Um... That's it. (laughs) I told you, I have nothing to say about this episode. It doesn't tell us anything about the characters. It doesn't examine its premise at all. It does some weird camera work. And it spends a huge amount of time trying to solve a mystery that was solved at the beginning of the episode. There's no tension. There's no drama. There's no suspense. What's funny, I'm going to pull up a list here really quick just to further emphasize my point. So this episode was something that several people had been having trouble trying to make happen for quite some time. I'm just going to directly quote Jerry Taylor here. It's true that every one of these scripts goes through a very protracted and difficult development process. Um, hang on, hang on, scrolling down a little bit here. I, I started at the wrong point here. Oh, my God. She talks a lot. <laughs> what but after my own heart. Uh, Okay, apparently I can't find the quote right here. Uh, Whatever. The point I was trying to make, just to run over it really quick, is that quite a few people were were slamming together to make this happen. Um, So, for example, teleplay by Pamela Gray and Jerry Taylor, story by Sherry Goodhart, T. Michael, and Pamela Gray. So that's four overall people involved in the script that we know of, four people credited for the script. I've actually commented on that before. Nine times out of ten, if you see a large number of names on a script, that's a bad sign. It means it was a script that had a difficult and protracted process to be made. I've actually pointed out several of these in the past. Now, this is a bit here... um... This is Michael Piller. I do want to read this really quick. You have to make sure you don't misinterpret what this guy was doing. He was basically going into your memories and playing in them for his own amusement, pleasure, and fulfillment. He's not going in and exploring a character's greatest fear. He might go in and and feel today he wants to see sexual secrets. Excuse me, Troy's sexual secrets. And tomorrow he wants to save Riker's unhappiest memory and make him suffer. I don't think it's something Riker carries with him as a burden for the rest of his life. It's just a memory, just like Tasha's death would be for him. That right there is the closest thing to anything interesting the episode does, because it showcases the level of messed-up-edness that Jev has. Because this is someone who is basically utilizing, is violating other people's memories and minds for his own enjoyment. A very sick and twisted form of enjoyment, no less. If anything, the fact that he's been able to get away with this this long is one of the things I find unbelievable since the man gives himself away almost constantly and nearly slipped up multiple times. I feel like pointing out that Jev is the one who constantly says, are you accusing us of something? Are you accusing us of something? I haven't done anything wrong. Why are you saying this? Is, is, do we have anything to hide? For all of the boisterousness of his dad, who I wrote name of Tarment, for all of the, the things that he goes through, nothing he ever says is of that level of defensiveness. He just finds it insulting, which is funny, because re- realistically speaking, when it comes to psychology, people who are accused of something that they are innocent of tend to be very insulted when you accuse them of that. And yet, someone you accuse of something when they are guilty, say, well, what evidence do you have of that? I'm sorry, do you have anything? What are you accusing me of exactly? Now, obviously, that's not a 100% rule, and doesn't apply in all circumstances, But I point that out because even from a basic perspective, it seems fairly obvious that Jev is the one behind this and Tarman is not, even ignoring the fact that we are told that outright at the 13 minute and 6 second mark. Now, I never like to do this without giving some kind of advice on how to fix it. So here's my advice number one. Eject the rape. Get rid of it. You want to keep the mental side of it? Sure. Get rid of the sexual side of it. That doesn't belong here. Point number one. Point number two. Okay, Um, why not have the memories that we see something that's actually something we don't really know about the character? I I, I don't know off the top of my head, I didn't spend a lot of time developing on this, but try to have something about Riker that we've never seen before, a side of him that we've either never seen or have only seen rarely. Same with Crusher, same with Troy. Um, Try to have it be a part of their character so that something is added to them by the end of the episode. Next thing I would have done, and this is the most obvious, do not reveal the mystery so early. That can work, it does not hear. Instead, make it so that what I said earlier is present. That is the hint for the audience. Tarmid is um, overbearing and objecting and insulted, and it is Jev who is repressed and quiet and compliant, but also constantly feeling like he's being accused. That is the hint for the true culprits in this matter. And that's all that needs to be there. We don't need to literally see the culprit because that just messes everything up. I guess I don't know what else to add. This is a very bleh premise as far as I'm concerned. I've got to be honest. If I was mainliner at this point in time, I would probably look at the script and say, no. <laughs> Try something else. Because I, I don't find the base premise all that engaging. Now, the idea of the memory diving, that's interesting but I I think you'd need to go in a totally different direction with memory diving rather than this violations plot. But as ever, that is merely my opinion. I'm not looking forward to the comments this week. I hope you have enjoyed. I'll see you next time, guys.